What's up, skeptics? I'm your host, Zoe McDaniel, and you're listening to Professional Skepticism. So today's topic is the back rooms, and if you're anything like me, you love these kinds of conversations. I know that it's not necessarily like real, but I just love that it's gotten so much traction over the past few years since it came out, and I just love the concept of like millions of people across the world all coming together and just being like super interested in this same weird kind of phenomena, phenomenon, I'm not sure which one it is, but today we're talking about the back rooms. So I don't really have any business. Well, actually, no, I don't have any business. Our next episode, we're going to have a guest and that should still be coming out as scheduled. I am taking a vacation. So if something happens, I'll make a post, but it should be coming out as scheduled. So I'm just going to say that it is. And yeah, that's pretty much it. So again, this episode might be a little bit echoey. I'm still in the process of soundproofing this room or acoustic treating or whatever you want to call it. I think it sounds better than it did last week because I did get some of the stuff that I wanted to, but I have some stuff that should be arriving tomorrow in the mail, and hopefully that will do the trick. So for now, I am still underneath a blanket, but I have my guest coming to record this weekend, so I'm hoping everything's figured out so that we can just record and not have to worry about sounding a little bit echoey. But yeah, let's talk about the back rooms. So you might be wondering, what are the back rooms? And I'm going to tell you. So the back rooms started as a creepy pasta that was posted on 4chan in 2019 under a thread where an anonymous user asked others to, quote, post disquieting images that just feel off. So that was from Wikipedia. And I'm going to tell you guys what creepypastas are if you're not familiar. If you are, you can skip ahead, but please don't skip ahead. Listen to what I have to say. So I'm going to explain creepypastas. Creepypastas are horror-related stories, myths, legends, lore, etc., that are posted to the internet. So some of them are really believable and some of them are obviously fiction. I think the more realistic, the more believable and the better the creepypasta. Also, I just wanted to point out that my Google Docs where I take my notes um, recognizes creepypasta as a word. So some creepypastas are short and sweet, some are super long and others are spread out into like multiple part series, but people often will kind of latch on to stories that they really like and get inspired by them and then continue on the story and write their own like variations of the story and take it their own route. Creepypasta topics have a wide range, and like I mentioned, they can be realistic or fantasy-based, but topics typically include murder, suicide, otherworldly experiences, Aliens, paranormal experiences, ghosts, hauntings, zombies, etc. So pretty much like a creepypasta is just a generalized term for like an online scary story, believable or not believable, whatever you want it to be. And there's like whole websites that are focused on this. Reddit has 
threads for it. Like if you go on the no sleep Reddit thread, that'll be a lot of creepypastas. Some well-known creepypastas include the story of Slenderman. So yes, Slenderman is a creepypasta. I don't know how to say this next one. Um, I think it's actually a Greek word, so it would be like polybius or something, but polybius is how it's spelled, P-O-L-Y-B-I-U-S. And I've heard about that one, but I didn't really know much about it, so I did a little bit of research, and that one's super interesting. It's about like an old game system, and the themes of it are about like addiction and things like that. So that could be an interesting one to read if you'd like to start reading some of them. And you can also listen to them. I prefer to read them because I just feel like it's creepier to read something that's scary versus like hearing a scary voice or like a a voice that's trying to be scary tell you the story. But everybody has their own preferences. So you can listen or you can read. Some other ones are Bunny Man, Squidward's Suicide, Jeff the Killer, Ted the Caver, which was arguably one of the first creepypastas, Been Drowned, and so many more. So according to Wikipedia, Jessica Roy of Time Magazine argues that creepypastas emerged in the 1990s when the text of chain emails was reposted on internet forums and Usenet groups. So before there were chain text messages, I guess there were chain emails. I don't I feel like I maybe got one, but for the most part, I didn't really have a lot of emails. I did have, I I was in like the perfect era where like we were transitioning into the more modern digital age. So I did have like email experiences back and forth with my friends, but for the most part, it was all about having a cell phone. So chain texts were huge with my age group. I saw someone mention on Instagram or TikTok or just somewhere on the internet that I don't know if you guys get these on your feed. I do because I'm all into like angel numbers and spirituality. And that can be a bit of a double-edged sword because a lot of people jump on that and just do it for like the aesthetic of it. And so (laughs) there'll be these videos that are like, save this sound and use it in your video because somebody's like witch grandmother blessed it and so if you save this and use it in your video or interact with this video then you'll get abundance and wealth and everything you've ever desired and someone said that those videos are like the modern day version of chain mail and I love that Um, but I definitely have fallen victim to that and it I won't lie to you it worked I remember one time I saved the sound I made a video and then I got a check in the mail that was like totally random and unexpected so like maybe it works I don't know but like those are good. The chain mails that like we used to get would be so violent. It'd be like if you don't send this to 10 people right now, like someone's going to come and chop your mom's head off or something awful like that. So, I guess like I can't really complain too much about the like use this sound. So, I mentioned creepy pastas. Let's talk a little bit about 4chan. This isn't the first time we've talked about that on this podcast. Um, We have mentioned it before, and we probably will mention it again, because a lot of the more conspiratorial topics I'd like to discuss seem to always relate back to 4chan and Reddit. And also, I realize I haven't done, like, a true conspiracy theory yet on the show, and I was going to originally do Cult of the Dead Cow today, which isn't a conspiracy theory, but that was what I was going to do, and I was like, no, I should get a conspiracy theory in here. So then I was going to do Flat Earthers, and then I just through casual internet browsing, fell down the backrooms rabbit hole. And so that's what I wanted to talk about today. (laughs) So um, I'm sure some people believe that it's 
like a real thing and it's a conspiracy because we'll get into it. But a lot of people think that the photos of the back rooms are like real places. So, um, but yeah, so we'll get to some conspiracy theories. Don't you worry. But I just really wanted to talk about the back rooms. So 4chan is similar to Reddit where people post threads and forums and have discussions, but different from Reddit, 4chan does not have a registration function, so users are typically posting on there anonymously. The site has discussion boards for a ton of stuff, including Japanese culture, video games, like random creative interests, and adult not safe for work content. When you actually go on the website, it's you're just greeted by this like really corny porn ad. Um, So just warning you, if you haven't been on 4chan before, maybe just be cautious of that. That will pop up for sure. So according to Wikipedia, as of 2022, sorry, struggled there. As of 2022, 4chan received more than 22 million unique monthly visitors, of which approximately half are from the United States. And I am one of those visitors apparently now. It's like very much, I feel like everybody knows like a weeb, like a super anime person. They probably go on 4chan a lot, not to just like generalize, but it's very much like people who are enamored with Japanese culture and anime and all that good stuff, which I am also an anime fan, so I'm not shaming. So 4chan was launched in 2003 by Christopher Poole, and he was only 15 at the time. I'm like, okay, I see you. Um, I think I might do an episode on 4chan just because the website has been under, like, attack various times since its inception. Um, There's been a lot of, like, things linked back to it. I feel like the... um, Alyssa Lamb, I think is her name, with the Cecil Hotel, there was something about, like, it, like, was somehow a clue, or not a clue, this is real life, Um, some sort of evidence was, like, traced back to 4chan, if I remember correctly, or maybe I'm thinking of another case, but there's a lot of stuff that has been traced back to have originated on 4chan. Maybe that show that was on Netflix that was, like, Don't Fuck With Cats, and it was that guy who was killing cats and then escalated to people. I don't know, but 4chan gets a lot of visitors, as we mentioned, with the 22 million unique monthly visitors. So there's a lot of stuff that's posted on there. Um, And then also, like, the website itself gets attacked. So I think it could be interesting to take a deep dive into that. But if I can't find a ton of information, I might combine it with just, like, a general interesting website episode where I look at stuff like Rotten.com and LiveLeaked that have kind of those, like, shock factor videos where people are being murdered and stuff like that. I'm just always really interested in like the grimiest parts of the internet. So be on the lookout. (laughs) I feel like every episode I'll be doing research and then I find another topic that I want to talk about in another episode. It's so much fun. So I'm going to give you a description of the back rooms. So As I mentioned, it's a creepypasta story. It tells the readers about an endless maze of randomly generated office rooms, or what we assume are office rooms. The walls are covered in, like, this really ugly, off-yellow printed wallpaper. There's fluorescent lighting, but it's, like, really aged and dull-looking and, like, kind of flicker. And the carpet is moist with mildew. It's, like, they describe it as being wet. So it's just this really gross, like stinky old office basically and I'm gonna post the pictures like I normally do on my Instagram but I feel like you guys are gonna see it and you'll be like oh I know what that is because like it's on the internet so 
and a lot of people are aware of what this is. Like I was watching some YouTube videos about it and there was like 22 something million views. You'll see it and you'll be like, oh, that's the back rooms. So the way it's described, it's basically how I would imagine an office building that was built in like the late 70s or the 80s would look today if it hadn't been maintained and still had like the original carpeting and wallpaper. And so the whole purpose of this description is to create an ominous ambiance. I wrote that myself. I, I mean, I write my notes myself, but I wrote, I came up with ominous ambiance and I was like, I kind of love that. It's like a band name. The lights flicker and buzz throughout the rooms. It smells damp and moldy. It's obviously not an open floor plan because as I mentioned, it's a maze and has old vibes. So if you're venturing through the back rooms, you're not sure if there's like someone that's going to peer around the corner and see you. It's like super creepy. It's like if a flood occurred in this like terribly constructed layout of an office and no one ever planned to complete the repairs. So I feel like I can smell it. So now I'm going to tell you about the concept of liminal spaces. And the back rooms became popular and inspired this kind of like internet obsession with liminal spaces in the online horror media section of the internet. So according to inaliminalspace.org, the word liminal comes from the Latin word limen, meaning threshold. Any point or place of entering or beginning, a liminal space is the time between the what was and the next. It is a place of transition, a season of waiting, and not knowing. Liminal space is where all transformation takes place, if we learn to wait and let it form us. Author and Franciscan friar Richard Rohr describes this space as where we are betwixt and between the familiar and the completely unknown. There alone is our old world left behind while we are not yet sure of the new existence. That's a good space where genuine newness can begin. Get there often and stay as long as you can by whatever means possible. This is the sacred space where the old world is able to fall apart and a bigger world is revealed. If we don't encounter liminal space in our lives, we start idealizing normalcy. These thresholds of waiting and not knowing are inevitable and most are incredibly disruptive. So I got all of that from inaliminalspace.org and I thought that was a really cool way to think about it. I feel like I'm in a bit of a liminal space right now. I mean, when I describe to you like the photos of liminal spaces, I'm not like physically in a liminal space, but I feel like I'm at that point where one world for me is ending and another one is starting. Like I've just moved into a new house. I'm leaving my job. I am like kind of going through like a breakup situation. I had a recent death in the family. I got in a car accident. I'm without my car for like a month. Like so much has happened and I'm just kind of like recreating myself. And so I feel like I'm following this percept or perspective that they suggested and looking and I hadn't really thought of it that way like as describing it as a liminal space so that's the way that people would describe a liminal space in like a, a positive twist in a liminal space.org is actually a really cool website so they offer services for helping people who are in between chapters in their lives so maybe you just experienced a death or a divorce or something else life-altering kind of like what I just explained and you feel stuck or unsure of what to do next with your life liminalspaces.org 
helps people by guiding them through the process and showing them how to take charge of this in-between period that they're experiencing. So I guess it's like life coaches or therapists or something. Um, You can like go in there and look at the staff and they have like a guide and stuff. So it's kind of like a nice little thing, I I think. So like I said, that's like the positive spin on liminal spaces, but online horror fans choose to dive headfirst into the oddness, like the feeling of being out of place that liminal spaces bring. Not the metaphorical or like, I guess, energetic liminal space, but like a physical liminal space gives this feeling that like something's just not quite right. So what exactly do I mean by liminal spaces in the context of the back rooms? So the back rooms themselves are a liminal space in the physical sense. It feels weird to look at like this gross, old, expansive, empty office space because as humans, like we naturally live and work and do everything in groups. Like obviously today we are like isolated a little bit more than we have been in the past, especially with COVID. And obviously introverts are like, I don't want to hang out with everybody all the time. And I do my own thing and I live alone. But generally humans congregate in groups. So liminal spaces are creepy because it's like typically places where there would be tons of people doing things and they're just not there. So it's like, you know, when you go somewhere and you're like, it's, it's too quiet here. Like, why don't I hear other people? Why don't I even hear like birds or something that could be a liminal space. So it feels weird to look at like this office space An office is supposed to be filled with people, people sitting at desks, people standing around the coffee pot people rushing to their next meeting, phone calls, printers, fax machines, pins clicking, like someone singing happy birthday down the hall. All of those things, we expect there to be like a hustle and bustle when we see an office space. And the back rooms are supposedly like, I don't know where this number came from. Well, I, I found it on Wikipedia, but I don't know who came up with this number. But the back rooms are supposedly 600 million square miles of just like randomly segmented rooms with the potential to be trapped in any of them. And it's just office rooms, that yellow, stinky, mildewy space with something like lurking around the corners. So this is a liminal space. Another example could be the image of, I think this was one of the first like popular images that started to come out once people started taking hold of this liminal space idea once the backrooms got popularized. But an example that I saw was like this image of an extremely long hallway. There's like plain brown carpets, no posters or paintings on the bare white walls. There's an exit sign in the distance, but you can't quite see the end of the hallway. It feels like time has frozen in the moment as you glance down the hallway, like in silence. So liminal spaces invoke this sense of nostalgia, lostness, uncertainty, And then I wrote down some more examples because I just really, I don't know, it's just so creepy and weird. I'm just so into it. So an empty hotel hallway with like tacky carpet and a busted paint job, like there's supposed to be people walking around here, but it's quiet. And so you're like, okay, where are like the creepy shining twins? Like something's up. A gym pool or a hotel pool, like just a pool. You know, when you go in a pool room and it echoes kind of like my fucking studio right now, Um, you go into a pool room and echoes like, the water's so still because no one's been in it. It's, like, not even moving, and, like, the lights are flickering, and it just smells like chlorine. Like, that would be a liminal space. An empty train station where there's no one there. You don't even hear the trains or, like, footsteps. A conference room with chairs strewn about and, like, maybe, like, a pencil and, like, some scraps of paper on the ground. Liminal spaces, man. I'm into that shit. So I learned about creepy pastas in my freshman year of high school, I think, Because this guy that I had a crush on, yeah, freshman year, 
this guy I had a crush on at the time told me about the Squidward's suicide creepypasta. And he told me not to look it up because it would, like, freak me out. And I did. I didn't read it, though. I still haven't read it to this day <laughs> um, because the picture freaked me out. I know it's just Squidward and it's, like, not real, but it still freaked me out. But I'll probably read it now because I have a feeling, like, after I record this, I'm just going to go sit and, like, read all of these. Uh, but even before that, like, throughout middle school and high school, I delved deep into Tumblr horror and, like, depression core posts that looking back I knew I now realize like those were liminal spaces in the photos like definitely liminal spaces vibes going on so it'd be like creepy images of abandoned places with text over top saying like some shit like I don't know it it just doesn't feel real anymore or where do we go from here or just some depressing ass fucked up shit like that like I was so sad so in 2019 I worked at this um local to Charlotte clothing boutique. It was it was pretty cool because like I was in college and I was getting paid like $10 an hour to sit there and do my homework behind the counter until someone <gasps> Cosmo Cosmo Oh my gosh, that's so funny. But yeah, so I was in college. I was getting paid like $10 an hour to sit there and just do my homework. <laughs> And then, like, when people would come in, I would help them. But so this would give me, like, a lot of time to just look at shit on my phone. So this was when I found the creepypasta, like, online horror content side of Instagram and Twitter. I didn't know that existed on Instagram and Twitter. But it was basically a continuation of what I was looking at on Tumblr, but more with, like, actual stories instead of just images, which I know, like, there was probably stories on Tumblr, too, but I wasn't the type to, like, sit and read somebody's, like, well-thought-out blog. I just reposted, like, all the sad core shit and thought I was, like, edgy. So, but yeah, so this was also when I started listening to true crime podcasts and playing horror video games, and I feel like people are going to listen to this and text me and be like, which horror video game? And before you ask me that, I could not tell you which games I played. I know that I played the OG Slenderman game online, and that one is scary, and I have I actually feel like I played that recently, like within the last year or so, because I was talking about it with somebody, but it's pretty scary. I don't think I ever actually finished it, um, because it's scary. And then there were some other ones that I played with Max, like there was one with like a really scary grandma or something. If you know what I'm talking about, let me know. Let's play um, some horror games. But yeah, so I would just like sit at this job and like fall down these rabbit holes of creepy stories to tell in the dark-esque creepypastas and the ones that would like really get me were the ones that were supposed Native American folklore or like had typically historical fiction has always been something um, like if I'm going to read a fiction book I like because it feels like since it has like a place in history it feels like it could be real so anything that's got historical fiction in it would typically do the trick for me This was also when I found out about that Norwegian black metal band Mayhem, whose members, like, killed each other. So I'm definitely doing an episode on that because I forgot about that until I was, like, racking my brain for when I first started reading creepypastas. And I was like, oh, shit, yeah. So definitely doing that one. There's a lot to unpack there. So about a year ago, I started following this Instagram called Eternity Core, and it's pretty much liminal spaces but more Tumblr-y. And I was looking at it, and it – doesn't look like what I remembered exactly. So I think, like, I do follow them, but I think there was another one that I followed that was even more edgy and, like, really unsettling. 
I was like, what is the word that's supposed to come after un? It was unsettling. I remember I found it and I was in my old apartment just laying on the couch and it would have these like photos of like abandoned buildings. Like a lot of the liminal spaces photos are like kind of aesthetically pleasing if you just look up liminal spaces. But like this one was like off-putting. Like it would be like an abandoned home and it'd be like, it would look bloody or like like some sort of accident happened there. Like there was a squatter that had been there and like left trash. And then it would have like red text over it and say something just completely like just fucked up. <laughs> and I would like fall, I would just sit and like scroll through that page for hours. And so that's the kind of vibe that I was thinking of. But so Eternity Core is still good to look at. I still like looking at it. There's another one called Liminal Aesthetics on Instagram. And this is like a perfect example of liminal spaces. It's creepy, but aesthetically pleasing. Um, I don't think that there's anything aesthetically pleasing about the back rooms, though. And I think that's why it's um, it's kind of found its hold in like the horror community instead of just being this like kind of aloof, like spacey, um, I'm not really here dissociation kind of vibe. But anyways, I'm going to post pictures of the back rooms and liminal spaces on the Instagram. So now that I've definitely over-described all of that for you, what are the back rooms and what is their story? So according to Wikipedia, a user on 4chan responded to the image posted of the back rooms with the first story about the back rooms themselves. So it was like, that guy was like, hey, can you guys post some like really off-putting photos here? That'd be cool. And someone was like, sure, here's these rooms. And then another person, a third unique individual human was like, or maybe it was a bot, I don't know. But another entity was like, you know what? I'm going to write a story about these rooms and it's going to be a creepypasta and it's going to, everyone's going to fall in love with the story and it's going to blow up. So they claimed that you enter the back rooms by no clipping out of reality in the wrong areas. And so no clipping is a video game term for when a player passes through a physical boundary that would otherwise block their way. And so the best way that I can explain this, or the best example that I have for you is um, in Mario 64. So if you haven't played Mario 64, if you're like really young and you're listening to this or you're really old and you just wasn't your era, look it up. You'll know what I'm talking about. Super cool. I'm sure there's better examples, but that's like the first one that came to mind because I was raised on Mario 64. It's like my, I fucking love that game. When they put it out for the Switch and it looked exactly like the one that was on the Nintendo 64, that like was probably the best part of the pandemic and Animal Crossing. If you play Animal Crossing, let me know. I haven't played in so long, but I'd love to come see your island. So Mario 64, you jump through the paintings on the wall to get to the different levels of the game. So you like walk in a room, it looks like the paintings are just a part of the wall, but you like run and jump through them and then you're in another level. So that's no clipping. So the, this user was saying like humans can accidentally no clip out of reality into the dimension that the back rooms is in. It's accidental. So you'd just be like walking and like bump into something and like fall through it. Yeah. I think that makes me think of like the glitch in the matrix Reddit thread, which I, that, I think I want to do a glitch in the matrix episode, not just like the Reddit thread, but just glitches people's stories of glitches in the matrix and where like they live a full life and they're like, or not a full life, but they'll be like 30 years old and then they go to sleep and they wake up and they're like 14 again. It's probably just like a brain injury, but it's still interesting to me. Sometimes I believe that shit. You know what? I believe it. I'm not going to lie to you guys. I believe that some people actually do experience glitches in the matrix because why not? This backroom story gained popularity on 4chan and eventually people kept adding to the lore 
um, of the backrooms. They were like, holy shit, I love this story. Like, I got to write some fan fiction about it. And so they start sharing these stories. They share the images on social media, all that good stuff. And people started to think that they had seen this image somewhere before. So they're looking at it and they're like, this is a very familiar picture. Like, I'm pretty sure it's like this office in Australia or like somewhere else. (laughs) You know what I mean? Just people were like, oh, it's this place. Oh, no, it's this building. So that's really creepy. It's just like a familiar image. I think they decided, like, I don't think anyone can really say exactly where the photo came from except for the person who, like, posted it and even then like I don't know if they took the photo or like generated the photo but I know a lot of people have kind of come to the conclusion that it was likely just a computer generated image which is weird to think of like why would you just do that but uh, many people have actually proposed tons of places so I mean maybe they're maybe they're correct in that the predominant theme surrounding the backrooms is essentially that there was like a secretive research group that either created or discovered the backrooms and regular everyday people find themselves in the backrooms by accidentally no-clipping. And then the research groups send people in hazmat suits into the backrooms to research the structure and the creatures or entities, which we'll talk about, um, that like lurk around the backrooms. And then I guess also like look for people that shouldn't be there. Um, But like the theory or like the story is that the research is like being recorded the whole time. So all of the content online of people's like stories and fiction and videos that they make about the backrooms, it's typically found footage format, which I have like a love-hate relationship with. I like found footage if it's done well. If it's not done well, it's like, I hate this. Like, why am I just watching a shaky video camera like running through the woods? So I'm going to tell you guys all, like, the different canons of the backrooms. And, like, the reason I mentioned the whole research group stuff is because that's kind of, like, a common thing throughout all of it. It's, like, everybody kind of agrees that there's these rooms and there's, like, research being done on the rooms by, like, some sort of agency that we're not really sure of and why they're doing it or where it came from. But that's, like, the background. So the Pure slash original canon. And these canons I got on the backrooms.fandom.com. So they're official fandom. So the pure original canon of the backrooms claims that there's only one level, level zero. And this is just like the 600 million square feet of connecting maze yellow office rooms. And it's just one level. There's no thrills. There's no multiple levels. There's like not any entities on there. The idea is that the horror comes from the pure terror of being trapped in this maze, the isolation that would, like, drive you to, like, insanity, the madness of it all. And the expansive backrooms alone are terrifying enough as is. And people who are fans of this canon tend to think that others have strayed, like, too far from the original liminal spaces concept of the backrooms, which I do agree with. So we'll get into that more, but I think I probably agree with this version of the backroom story the most, or this is just what I would like to believe. I much prefer my horror to be realistic than to be like paranormal or otherworldly. Um, and like I, I love learning about the paranormal and like I believe in spirits, not necessarily ghosts. Like, you know, how like people are like, oh, they saw the outline of a woman in colonial gear churning butter and she didn't have a head or something like that like I don't really believe in ghosts like that I do believe in like energy and spirits in that sense um 
and I believe in aliens and extraterrestrial beings of whatever sort, but it doesn't necessarily scare me. I would rather be scared by like, I, I think real humans and the stuff that we create is terrifying enough as is. So this concept, the pure original canon, it makes sense to me. Like, yeah, being in that maze would be actually fucking terrifying. You would literally lose your mind. Or I would. I know I would. The next level up is the traditional canon. And I think this one and the next one are the most commonly believed or subscribed to. And the traditional canon states that there are three main levels of the back rooms, and that would be level zero, level one, and level two. So according to Wikipedia, level zero is the, the level depicted in the original backrooms photo featuring all of the creepypasta's most well-known characteristics, moldy carpet, monochromatic yellow walls, and buzzing fluorescent lights. One of the entities created by the user for this level are hounds, described as disfigured and manic humanoid beings. Another feature of this level is a, quote, no-clip zone, which may lead one to come back to Earth to be transported to the start of the level or to a new dimension with other hostile beings. So that's level zero. Level one says, a level reached when one chooses not to enter a no-clip zone and instead wanders around level zero for days. It is darker than level zero and features a more industrial architecture with mechanical-like sounds being heard through the place. The level appears to be a dark, dingy warehouse with low-lying fog and puddles of water around. Opposed to level zero, the fluorescent lights begin to flicker more frequently, occasionally shutting down completely, and this is when the beings come out. And then the third level, level two, is according to the three-level theory, one of the darkest levels containing more industrial-like architecture. So this level appears as long service tunnels with pipes lining the walls. It's described as being reached when one simply wanders around level one for a long enough period of time, and then featuring a much, this has a much higher temperature than other levels. Quote, survivors of the back rooms claim that the only way to escape the level is to remain calm, stating that only when the back rooms have become your home can you depart, which ew, like you just have to accept your fate. And then I don't know like what that means. Like, I don't know the logistics of how you actually move between the levels or like how you get out and go back to earth. But yeah, I don't know. I think for me personally, the first, the level zero would probably be the scariest to me. Cause like, why are the lights on all the time? And like in this stinky mildew place. So the different levels have different rooms some with rows upon rows of empty bookshelves, some with like pitfalls that you have to maneuver around, some with rows of pillars. It's all very creepy, all very different. And all while there are like some sort of creatures wandering around coming after you. And I watched some of the like YouTube videos about this and I'll get into it in a little bit with some more details in some of the videos. And I have the links and everything that you guys should definitely go check out if you haven't seen it already. But the the video of the creatures is so like off-putting but it kind of like it was like scary but it was kind of funny because it reminded me of like the drawing style of the um diary of a wimpy kid books so if go watch them you'll know what i'm talking about so the next canon is called the main nine canon and it refers to the idea that the back rooms have nine levels so it's like basically the same thing as the traditional one just there's nine levels instead of three and this one is also very popular and then the final one is the unrestricted canon 
and that states that there's no defined bounds when it comes to confirmed levels within the back room. So there's literally thousands of levels. It's kind of, it's excessive to me. That's why I really think the first one I can I guess I can also get behind the three level theory. Like I can understand that. Um and I can kind of jive with some of the fiction about it, but like to me I think the truly scary part of it all is the first part. Otherwise it's just this like weird made up like multiple levels that don't really have anything to do with each other and there's just entities and they're all different beings like it's just it just seems like another little world almost um but I don't like that it's undefined like I don't like that it's endless I like that it's like finite so the back rooms have been compared to the ominous feeling of UFO conspiracy theories of Area 51 the shining which yes because I described some of those liminal spaces I was looking at earlier and like hotels definitely have tons of liminal spaces and the Minecraft urban legend of Herobrine or Herobrine, I have, like, seen this on the internet, but I didn't know much about it. And then the SCP Foundation, which I might do episodes on, so I'm not going to get too much into that. So if you go on the backroomsfandom.com, there's a list of all the thousands of entities and levels, and the entities are just numbered, like, one through a thousand plus. Like, there's so many um, and then the levels include normal levels, sublevels, anomalous levels, and joke levels. And then there's probably like at least 20 or more different theories as to how the backrooms were actually created. Because like I had mentioned when I was explaining the kind of general theme, it's like, yeah, there's this research group. We don't know if they created it or if they just discovered it. It's just kind of like they. it's like the backrooms exist and we're not – we're getting pieces of the information here and there but, like, we don't really have the full picture. So people have their own theories as to how the backrooms were actually created. And the first theory that appears on the wiki is the collective unconscious idealism theory. The backrooms fandom states that, according to the famous psychiatrist Carl Jung, humans have a collective unconscious, a series of ideas that we all universally share as a species, with the backrooms being one of these concepts. Liminal spaces are wired into our collective minds as shared places, and the backrooms are simply a shared perception of these liminal spaces. Practically, the human being is only affected by the world as he perceives it. So when a human falls asleep and dreams, hallucinates a vision of this collective perception, he's sucked into it. As such, people in the backrooms are often dreaming or delirious. Another interpretation is that the backrooms would be the various dreams parallel realities of the cosmic divine mind. And I don't really like that last sentence there. Like, I don't like that that's like the cosmic divine mind because if you look at it, like maybe maybe liminal spaces are cosmic and divine mind, but like I don't think the backrooms specifically because they're fucking scary, bro. <laughs> like that should not be what is like divine to us. I understand this dream concept though, because I've been, so I have PTSD that I deal with and I get the nightmares a lot. And I used to have the nightmares pretty bad when I was in college and then they stopped for a while. And just recently I've started having nightmares again. And I have been having nightmares that are in spaces. What the fuck is happening? Y'all, I keep seeing... (laughs) I'm tripping myself out. I keep seeing like a shadow flicker like underneath this blanket. Like I like out of the corner of my eye, I can see the like floor beneath me and then I see like a shadow. I've been telling Mandy that our house I think is haunted because I don't know, I really might need to like 
anyways, I feel like I've been seeing like little shadow people like scurry past and then I turn and look and like obviously there's nothing there. And I was telling her that and then our friend Ashley was like, oh, it's definitely haunted in here. So I'm, it made me feel a little bit validated, but I think one of them is fucking with me right now because I'm under a blanket telling a scary creepypasta story. Um, but back to my dreams. Yeah. So I've been having nightmares again. And a lot of the times I'm in these like big empty houses with like really light pale blue walls and like some, whatever the scary thing of the night. Oh my God. Okay. Hold on. (laughs) Y'all. I'm tripping myself out. Okay. I figured out what it was. I put up lights in here, like Christmas lights or I hate calling them Christmas lights because they're not always Christmas lights. They're just lights. But I put up lights in here around the ceiling and they like are on a rainbow loop. And once it gets through the loop, it does like a little blink. And that was what I was seeing. Oh, my God. I'm so paranoid. But anyways, my nightmare last night, I dreamt that I was being like chased by an axe murderer and being forced to also axe murder in like my attempt to escape and it was all me like running through this mansion house with emptiness and blue walls but I hadn't decided I was going to do the back rooms until today because your girl was slacking on the podcast and I did all of this today once I get back from my vacation I'm not going to be doing that anymore because I'm not going to be spread so fucking thin like butter baby so Yes, that's one interpretation of how the backrooms came to be. On the fandom site, you can also see like all these different groups that supposedly research and govern the backrooms that people have come up with or like whatever. And one of the group's name is like the Major Explorer Group. There's the Cower Research Organization. There's so many. There's like literally probably like tens, maybe hundreds. There's also a list of objects and just like common objects like rare objects, whatever. Some of these include items like blue octagons, liquid pain, moth jelly, almond water, neon water, and so much more. So it's really just people are just, you know, coming up with whatever they want and adding it to the fandom. There are some things that like, I think most people, regardless of the canon, agree upon, but there's a lot of very like nuanced takes on the back rooms. So As for content, one of the most common Backrooms stories has been produced by Kane Parsons or Kane Pixels on YouTube, and he seems to have kind of like the reigning truth when it comes to the Backrooms. Like his story is so well done with it that I think people just agree that that's kind of like the, that's at least the foundation. He was 16 when he uploaded his short analog horror film titled The Backrooms Found Footage on YouTube in just January of 2022. So I think I mentioned the picture of The Backrooms was posted in 2019. So this isn't too old. Um, it's it's a pretty relevant, um, I guess, creepypasta conspiracy game situation. So he has since put out a ton of Backrooms content. I was watching it and like some came out like two weeks ago. So it's not necessarily in like chronological order, but it, it he's basically like working his way around to like fill in gaps. And it's really good. I like it. The found footage is presented as like, well, the first one, the, the one I mentioned, the Backrooms found footage video, that is presented as like a recording of a cameraman. And it's like, it starts off, I'll let you watch it. I don't want to spoil it. But the general idea is there's a cameraman who like is in the back rooms with his camera. He accidentally no clips into the back rooms. He's running from entities and he's like entering all the different rooms. 
He's so, like, it's this big office space, so most of the rooms are, like, empty offices, but then he'll, like, come across what, like, you could assume might be, like, would have been, like, a library or something like that. So he's just wandering through. It's pretty good. I liked it. And then some of the other videos, I'll talk more about them, too, but they all have different dates. So some of them are, like, the late 80s. Some of them are the early 90s. So it's, like, he's setting it up as if this has been, like, an ongoing research study of the back rooms. Apparently, according to Wikipedia, the backrooms were an influence for Apple TV Plus's Severance, which I've not watched, but I would like to. And there are also a few backrooms video games floating around out there if you like horror games, um, backrooms and chill anybody. I would actually love to play some of those games. So if you're for real, let's do it. So another one of Kane Pixel's um, videos. Oh, let's talk about found footage a little bit more. So, like, I was talking about with the creatures. Like, the creatures are these, like, weird black stick figure creatures. And they kind of sound like a cross between, like, a really vicious dog barking and an elephant. And I think that's why they're called hounds. And the cameraman is, like, slowly walking around the back rooms until he ca- encounters the entities or whatever, the hounds. And then he's chased until he, like, falls into a new level. I recommend it. Go watch it. And then another one that he did was called First Contact. And... It's, they're in this, like, high-voltage complex warehouse situation. It's, like, very 80s, 90s industrial operational kind of vibes going on. And the VHS tape is dated as 1989 in this one. And there's this big machine, like, room, and there's blueprints, and they turn on the voltage, and then the back rooms are, like, either made or discovered somehow. Like, the door opens, and there's the back rooms. Another one that he did is called Missing Persons, and he, like, proposes the theory that missing people have, like, you know how, I mean, obviously, you know, there's missing people, but, like, some cases of missing people, you're like, okay, that person was definitely murdered, but we just can't prove it, but, like, that everything adds up to them being murdered, but then there's those other cases where, like, people just disappear. Like, I think there's that one, Bryce, I can't remember his last name right now, there's, like, two or three and the Mora, why can't I remember their last names? Um, there's two or three missing persons cases that like really fucking shake me to my core because we have so much stuff to look at and none of it makes any sense at all. And it's like they just disappeared into like nowhere. There's no trace of them. And so I think that's what this was getting at. So the theory is that people have accidentally no clipped into the back rooms and there's people in like hazmat suits entering into the back rooms and like they find a dead body in there. So it makes you wonder like maybe people, I don't know, I'm not, I, I don't necessarily think that like the back rooms are where pe- missing people are going, but like what if there is some like uh, interdimensional situations happening with these missing people? And then the next one I watched was the autopsy and they find a body, like I mentioned, um, the decomp process is different. It's stunted. He's got a cyst that isn't benign, but like they can't explain what's wrong with it either. I really like the very like, I don't know if vintage is the right word because it's just like supposed to be the 80s and 90s, I guess vintage, but the the way he filmed the videos is very old school, like analog horror, basically. So um, it's just creepy and it feels very ominous. I really love the vibe of like undercover secret research. I mean, I don't love that because like that does happen, but like any stories like that, I'm like, ooh, so captivating. Um, It's like two doctors like doing an autopsy. And then this was actually the first video I watched, but I don't know why I put it last in my list. So he made like a 
informational video for people who work for whatever research agency it is that is going into the back rooms and recording all of this. And so there's like vocab and he has the machine, the door, the back rooms, the complex and hallways. And then there's rules. So rule number one is never approach the, th- the threshold without guided supervision. And so that just means like the threshold to like walk into the back rooms. Never enter the complex alone. And all expeditions are to be comprised of no fewer than three individuals. So these are for the people that are like in hazmat suits going in willingly, not the people who are like accidentally no clipping into the back rooms. So I liked that interpretation of it where it was like the it was like a training video for people who worked for this research agency. And he also, I don't know if he, Kane, actually made this YouTube channel or if a fan made it. I think I saw a comment where somebody was like, I love that Kane's content was fan created. And then somebody made this channel as like a fan creation based on a fan creation. But they made a channel for the research agency that Kane used in his videos and like continued on the work. And I thought that was really cool too. But that's basically it um, about the the back rooms. I mean, there's not like a set in stone story to tell you about it. So that's what's so, I think, enticing about it to people. And I think that's why there's such a pull to it. Also, I feel like we haven't had like a big scare kind of thing like this, like since like Slenderman and um, what's the, like Siren Head and shit like that. But also I'm not a kid anymore. I feel like kids are always like much more tapped into that kind of stuff. But this one, I actually saw a meme of the other day and I was like, I need to like, I've always hear people talking about the back rooms and I just wanted to like dive more into it. But it seems like the more you dive into it, the more you find. So if anybody is a back rooms fan, let me know. I'd love to know if you've like written anything about it or your perspectives on it or what you think about it. But I do think that it's like an interesting take on the, po- the possibility of there being multiple dimensions that we can like accidentally enter It does kind of touch on the glitch in the matrix kind of vibes. It does touch on multiple dimensions. Um, People can attend it accidentally and intentionally. So I think it's a nice, like, tangible, like, story that we can kind of use as a representation of that. And maybe that's why so many people are interested in it, because we all kind of know that there maybe is something, hopefully not as scary and ominous as the back rooms, but maybe like a dimensional plane that we can travel through and around I don't know I'm just rambling um but yep that's the back rooms so I'm gonna wrap it up there you guys know what to do leave me a five-star rating share this podcast wherever you want to um please I appreciate it and you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at profskep podcast that's at p-r-o-f-s-k-e-p podcast and you can email me at professional skepticism podcast at gmail.com and I will be recording Saturday and the episode will come out while I'm on vacation so I will see you guys next week and I love you all so much stay sus skeptics bye Mwah.